Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Quite a cover, huh? Really gets gets the attention. The uh, what? Dragon, uh, the monster of of, of addiction. Uh, um, so I want to talk tonight on uh, breaking the chains of craving, and uh, I'll just touch on uh, one or two of the things in the in the inquiring mind. And next week, uh, want to look at some some of the articles uh, in more detail. Um, so, I'm not quite sure which, well, I, oh, I, I, I just uh, remembered I'm going on Monday to a gathering with uh, a lot of neuroscientists um, that I, I'm invited to from time to time. Uh, they meet once a month, and the subject is the, the neuroscience of craving. So, um, and these guys, when they, they talk, it's like, you know, not just hanging out, it's getting into the, the neurons and what goes on here and what goes on there. So hopefully I'll come, up with, come back with some useful information uh, if I can assimilate it. But um, it seems like it's coming from everywhere, from there and from Inquiring Mind and uh, a couple of other places. And I thought we could explore it together. First, I wanted to read a little from uh, some classical teachings, some discourses, uh, what the Buddha had to say about craving and grasping and the wanting mind. This is from uh, the Dhammapada. When a person lives heedlessly, his craving grows like a creeping vine. He runs now here and now there, as if looking for fruit, a monkey in the forest. If this sticky, uncouth craving overcomes you in the world, your sorrows grow like wild grass after rain. If in the world you overcome this uncouth craving, this is Tanisaro Bhikkhu's translation, hard to escape, if you overcome it, sorrows roll off you like water beads off a lotus. Encircled with craving, people hop round and around like a rabbit caught in a snare, tied with fetters and bonds, They go on to suffering again and again for long. Encircled with craving, people hop round and around like a rabbit caught in a snare. So a practitioner should dispel craving, should aspire to dispassion for him or herself. That's from the Dhammapada. And one of my favorite quotes from... um, this is from the Sutta Napata, which is one of the, uh, supposedly the oldest collection of, of discourses of uh, the Buddhas, meaning that probably ones that are the most likely to have been um, his, his words. There's a certain kind of spirit in them that is very ancient, Um, And these are the earliest collections of discourses. This is from one discourse here, the great chapter. For some people, contact, the point where sense plus object meet. Understand that contact. You see something, there's a sight in front of you, and there's a sense door, and where the sense door perceives 
the object. That's called contact. Actually, it takes three things. Sense door, the sense organ, I should say, the consciousness that seeing consciousness, for instance, and an object. And when all three of them come together, that's called contact. So for some people, contact, the point where sense plus object meet, is enthralling. And so they are washed by the tides of being, drifting along an empty, pointless road. Nowhere is there any sign of broken chains. But others come to understand their sense activity, understand how this all works. And because they understand it, the stillness fills them with delight. They see just what contact does, and so their craving ends. They realize the total calm. Once you see the game clearly, you're not as enthralled by sight, sound, smell, taste, touch that usually hooks us. And at that point, you can shift from the second noble truth. You're familiar with the four noble truths. The second noble truth is the cause of suffering is craving or wanting or attachment, whatever, all of those are the same. Sometimes it's the cause of suffering is desire, but it's really the cause of suffering is attachment to desire or that craving for fulfillment. That's the second noble truth. The third noble truth is the possibility of the end of desire where craving is no longer running us. Craving, by the way, uh, there's degrees. So craving can turn into grasping in the, uh, just a little bit more of some classical teachings. I hope I don't lose, lose you on this. Those who don't know, there's the, the wheel of dependent origination, how we stay bound and bound in suffering. And out of ignorance comes karmic formations comes having a body, having sense, sense doors, and sense, six senses. Then there's contact. Contact gives rise to a, a flavor of experience. Either it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Okay, Called vedna, flavor, feeling tone. Out of that feeling tone comes craving. If we're not aware when something is pleasant, we want it. If something is unpleasant, we don't want it. That's another kind of craving. I want to get rid of this. And if something is neutral, we usually space out on it, uh, which just leads to some more confusion and problems. From contact comes feeling, and from feeling, which is not good or bad, it's just the way things are. Everything has a a flavor of experience. Either it's pleasant or it's unpleasant or it's neutral. Out of that comes craving, this response, mmm, I, I want this. And then when it becomes strong, the craving turns to grasping. And when it becomes grasping, then you get really hooked and then the rest of the wheel grasping become, uh, turns into becoming and wanting something more, and then it goes into old age, sickness, and death, and just go around and around and around. But the point that everything can be, that the chain can be broken with dependent origination is when you, when you see that contact and that feeling, and you don't get caught in, in the craving, in the craving response. You just see, oh, this is pleasant which is unpleasant, and it is how it is. And you can either enjoy it or not enjoy it, but you're not hooked into either wanting more or needing to do something about it. Just a little, uh, I like this explanation. 
the, the difference between craving and grasping. Suppose you're kind of um, you're walking down mm, College Avenue or Solano Avenue, something like that, and you're, you're just kind of hungry. And you're like, hmm, I could go for something. Mm, that's craving. Then you pass Zachary's. And you say, pizza. I want pizza, you know, or whatever, you know. What is it? Uh, yogurt. Uh, what's your? What's the? Uh, what's the ice cream store on my salon? Or or Ben and Jerry's. Here, there. Oh, I want ice cream. When it turns into that thing, it's a whole different level than. I just want something to. I want that. That, once it goes into that, it's much harder to disengage. Mm. Have you noticed? Mm. So, um, how do you break the chains of craving? Uh, Here's one more discourse, I think, Uh, just a little bit. One of my favorite discourses, uh, and I've, I've shared from this before, this is uh, the Buddha talking to his son, Rahula, when his son was about seven years old, as this discourse uh, supposedly took place. Mm. The Buddha had come back. He'd been gone for about for six years, and then he, he came back to his village, and uh, he started, uh, and he, he taught his son, who became a monk and became enlightened sooner uh, after a while. This is one of his earliest discourses to him. He said, um, Rahula, when you, uh, when you wish to do an action with the body, you should reflect upon that same bodily action thus. Would this action that I wish to do with the body lead to my own affliction or the affliction of others or to the affliction of both? Is it an unwholesome bodily action with painful consequences, with painful results? When you reflect, if you know this action that I wish to do with the body would lead to my own affliction or the affliction of others or the affliction of both, it is an unwholesome bodily action with painful consequences, with painful results, then you definitely should not do such an action with the body. And then he goes on to say, but if it's not, if it's okay, it doesn't lead to anybody's affliction, and it's wholesome, then fine. He goes on to say, you might not be able to catch it in time. You might not realize it until you're in the middle of the action, and the same, by the way, with with speaking and with thoughts. So he does, goes to the same thing with body, speech, and mind. You might not be in the, uh, realize it until you're in the middle of the action or the spoken words. And you say, hmm, he says, just check. Where is this leading to? Is this going to lead to suffering or happiness? And then act accordingly. And then he says, but you might not realize until after the deed is done or the words are spoken, then just reflect, hmm, how did that feel? Did that lead to suffering or did that lead to happiness? And then if it led to suffering, see what you can learn from it so that you don't keep on getting caught in that cycle. And if it led to happiness, then keep on repeating it if you, uh, if you want to go in that direction. He also says, by the way, if after you reflect and you see, oh, that caused some harm, he, in the discourse, says, then you go to somebody and you kind of uh, clear your mind, clear your heart, confess your wrongdoing, um, if possible to the person or else if it's not possible to somebody who you really respect as a wise person. So, sounds pretty simple, right? Oh, If this is leading to suffering, you should definitely not do it, he says, if you don't want to suffer. 
okay, I got it, right? We don't usually see it, do we? How many times do we have to get into unskillful actions that we know aren't going to serve us before we just say, oh, okay, I don't need to do that anymore. And that's the amazing thing, how it's all wired up. That's why we have issues on addiction. Because we know better. I mean, they can put on the cigarette pack, oh, this will kill you. You know, that doesn't do it. Oh, okay, I'm going to go sooner or later. And all the other warnings in our society, it's pretty, it's pretty clear. But we still get caught. So how to break these chains when we know we're going to suffer and still we do it? It must be a pretty powerful mechanism that is hooking us. And it's something, just as we're exploring it, that really invites tremendous compassion for this predicament, just this mysterious way that the game is played, that people kill themselves, whether it's slowly or quickly, um, and or, or hurt themselves. I was watching a movie the other, the other night, uh, a really... A really good movie, kind of weird, called Secretary. Have you ever seen it? Where she the, uh, and and Maggie uh, Gyllenhaal, just an amazing actress, and there she is, just cutting herself. And I know, uh, maybe you know, you know, people who cut themselves because because they just can't handle the the pain that's inside, and they have to experience it outside. How we can hurt ourselves consciously because the pain is too great to experience uh, inside. Uh, Paul Ekman, who was here last year, came to the Joy Course last year, um, he he wrote this book, Emotional Awareness. Uh, He's the guy who who can read the faces really well, and they, that, that show, I, I don't know what it's called, lies, true lies, or what, what is it called? Is, what is it? Lie to me, is that it? Uh, where they can, he's like a you know, human uh, lie detector. You can sell, tell by facial expressions. It was based on his work. And he, he's, uh, he wrote this book with the Dalai Lama, uh, and, and has studied human human uh, well he studied emotions for many years but uh, the, the, how we get caught he says there's a refractory period while you're in the middle of a particular grip of an emotion like deep wanting that in that period when you're in its grip, nothing can uh, or very is very hard for anything to break into that period. Everything in your world is about confirming the emotion. This is what I need. The, it can also be, this is what is happening to me. You have a distorted view of reality. You can't see clearly while you're in the middle of that refractory period. And then when you wake up, you ever have that, that feeling, sometimes it's not till the day after, or maybe a, you know, a little bit later, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? It's like you come to your senses, but for a while you are completely gone. You are enthralled by the contact whether it's positively or negatively. Um, This is 
Viktor Frankl, who kind of is pointing to the way out. He says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. So this space between stimulus and response, that's where we have some possibility of not being a complete Pavlovian rat. And that's just what the Buddha said too. In between the point of contact where between the feeling tone, the stimulus, and then the response of action, which is triggered by that craving. That's where we have choice. That's the amazing gift of the practice and of the Buddhist teachings, that we have choice. But even if you've been doing this practice for a long time, you still can get hooked very easily. I certainly can attest to that firsthand. How to optimize that space, this is what we're talking about. How do you optimize that space? And that's what the whole issue is about, this inquiring mind issue. How to optimize that space so that you have choice, that you can choose and not be a slave to your habits. As we're doing this, just uh, to make it real and something uh, that you can relate to, you might um, just, let's all take a moment, go inside and uh, pick some area in your life where you can get triggered with wanting or some strong reaction that while you're in the grip of, you can't see that afterwards you say, oh my goodness, I did it again, whatever. If you can think of anything like that in your, in your life. And just mentally see if you can track your process from the moment that you get activated to that point of contact to then your response where you're in that refractory period and it seems like you have uh, no control. Now just imagine what it would be like if you created a little bit of space between the stimulus and the response where you could be conscious enough to choose. Maybe there are times when you are conscious enough to choose. If there are, what goes on then? See how you do become that conscious. So, um, before I go on, anything that uh, that you might notice, how uh, what what's going on in that space, or how could you become more conscious, or maybe how do you become more conscious? Um, we'll see if there's any responses here from the from the group. Yeah. Here, why don't you pass this and uh, make it. Uh, we might as well hear what you say. Just take a few. One of the things that really came to mind was um, 
how to tolerate, kind of how to t- hang out with the, the yearning, the hurt, yeah. you know, that is uh, motivating the grasping. Okay. So I feel the contact, I feel the Vedana, and then um, with something that uh, I have a strong relationship of grasping with, I'm going to feel... I'm going to feel hurt or yearning or, you know, and how to just tolerate that and hang out with it. How to hang out with the hurt, yeah. And do you ever, or the yearning, do you, and do you ever uh, play around with that? Yeah, I do. And I, and I notice um, it depends a lot on how tired I am, uh-huh. how my day's been going. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. You know. And when you... How suppose that you are, uh, your day's gone enough so that you're not exhausted, and how do you how do you do it? How do you hang out? What's the process of hanging out? With it? Um, I um, I like to put a hand on my heart and a hand on my belly, and just hand on your on your heart, yeah, and belly, and just breathe mm. and just feel mm. whatever it is, and just kind of make space for that. Mm. And I notice I have aversion to that. And make space for that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's really it's challenging to to feel that hurt or pain that is undergirding the grasping. Uh huh. You know, sometimes. And what happens when you when you're able to do that? What the, what's it, that? Passes. it passes. You know, it passes. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, that really is the is the essence of what uh what we're talking about here and you know i just want to add too it's it's um we don't live in a culture that that supports that i mean it takes time in the day to feel that and notice it and do that yeah you know yes because it's much harder that refractory period is uh is much stronger when there's stress, when we are, like you say, tired or contracted, or when there's any kind of negative emotions, what happens is it's harder to see clearly. When we see clearly, it's like, oh, of course, what's the big deal? But when the mind is contracted, even though we know better it's hard to see clearly. So, um, yeah, not being in the middle of stress makes a, a big difference. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll just share with uh, anybody else before we go on. Ready to say something? Yeah, if you can get that up to her. All the way in the back. Here, raise your hand. One last one, and then we'll... I forgot that I was going to be on the microphone because I have an embarrassing confession to make, and that is that I'm having a really hard time discerning the switchover or the point at which I get a little wave of emotion and then I'm in that period of wanting whatever it is, the pizza, the ice cream, the recognition, the beautiful day, the whatever it is, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You have a hard time discerning it. I have a hard time discerning it, yes. Yeah, you mean uh, falling into the reaction? Um, I have difficulty noticing the delay between the, the emotion yeah. and the falling into it. Yeah. Anybody else? <laughs> that's what we're talking about that it's really hard to discern yeah just like you know the buddha saying oh yes uh if you know then you stop you know that's easy it's the fact that it's so hard to discern so this is this is just what we're talking about if you can discern then you've got you know a possibility of uh, of what uh, what was just said. Oh, yeah. Put your hand on your heart and your belly. Breathe, hang out with it. Yes. But it's really hard to discern. So you've got a lot of company in mm-hmm. there. Don't, don't, don't take it personally. 
Keith in the back. Uh, oh, I don't profess to catch it myself, but when I reflect on it, usually for me, the discerning piece is when something has to be done right now as opposed to when, okay, I need to do this. But if, you know, all, I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, okay, you know, I, I need to go talk to this person about X thing at work or, you know, I need to go up and go across the room to get that, that if I can catch this real sense of immediacy, if it has to happen now, then sometimes that's enough of a piece to step back and say, well, wait a minute, oh, is this really that important? Why, why is there this thing that's so important all of a sudden? Uh-huh. So if you start to feel a crescendo of energy that's, that's saying, I've got to relieve this feeling or I've got to do something about it right now, that might be a signal for you, wait, what's going on here? Is, it, is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, that, and part of it is, is getting very familiar with the different cues that trip us, trip the wire off. Exactly. So I'll just I'll mention just a, a few here, and, and maybe we can play with it this week. I'd like to explore playing together with it this week. So this is not just a theoretical kind of a thing. It makes it so much richer if we're actually practicing being more conscious. You know, what a radical thing. You know? um, and of course, you don't just like when you go to a gym. You don't start with lifting the, you know, 50-pound barbell. You might start with 5-pound dumbbells a little bit. So we won't go for the heaviest addiction that you have, you know. But maybe just to play around with, with a little experiment just to see the, the power and the possibility of saying, of saying no or having a choice in deciding consciously. So as I look at it, and, I, and I've looked at this in my own life and in practice for a while, it does start with the intention to change because we've been practicing habits for a long time and they will get activated very easily unless... And you might think of some time in your life where you did let go of something, where you, you know, fasted for Lent or Yom Kippur, or, or, or you said, okay, enough of this habit, this isn't ser- uh, serving me. And you just, at some point, had the, made the decision to change. One uh, writer in, um, in addiction... Not he's not an inquiring mind, but somebody who I've uh, has impressed me. His theories of addiction. Uh, this fellow Stanton Peel, who he says that we, in his process, he said the first the first step if you if you've got a habit that you really is not serving you, and he was talking about addiction actually, that you have over time an accumulated disgust where you keep on saying, ooh, this is gross, or this isn't working, and it just keeps on accumulating, but it's got to accumulate and, and build up until there is what he calls a moment of truth, where you just say, that's it. I can't go on anymore like this. You know, where you hit rock bottom for instance, or you, you know, you nearly die, or you, you know, some, or there's an intervention that says, this isn't working anymore. At that point, when you have, when the accumulated disgust hits a moment of truth, and you make the decision, I'm going to change. This is just not working anymore. Then you start to um, turn yourself in a turn the whole process in a different direction. And you come up with strategies and you start thinking and have a really good support system and you start thinking of yourself as somebody who is in the process 
of changing or doing things in a different way. And then you have uh, uh, some support for it when there are relapses, not thinking, oh, I blew it, who was I kidding? But this is just a temporary relapse, and now I'm still committed to facing in that new direction. But the key to that whole process is when the accumulated disgust reaches a moment of truth. So that's one piece, the intention to change. And maybe if we kind of play around with something this week, you can pick something that is doable. You say, okay, just as an experiment, I'm going to see about this. Then from this, um, the, uh, the article, uh, actually it's, not, it's, it's one article, but um, there's a whole um, um, interview with this fellow that's on, uh, that's on the, uh, you have to go on the internet, the extended interview, but this fellow, uh, Alan Marlett, who's done a lot of work with addiction. He's up in the University of Washington. Um, and he talks about just what you're saying, hanging out with it, but he calls it um, urge surfing, where you're surfing in that in-between space and you're hanging out with it. And I'll just I'll read to you uh, an excerpt. You can't keep urges from happening, but you can learn to ride them out. The idea for urge surfing came from a man who was trying to stop smoking. He described one attempt. I made it 40 minutes, but that was all. These urges, they get stronger, and if I don't give in to them, I think I'm going to go crazy. I explained to him that an urge is like an ocean wave that grows bigger and bigger as it approaches the shore. As it grows, there's the desire to just give in. But if you do, you'll reinforce the power of the addiction. Instead, you can ride the wave by using the breath as a kind of surfboard. Buddhist understanding of urges and cravings is is that you can't get rid of them. Don't try to get rid of them. Um, They're going to happen. So... And if you try to get rid of them, you know what happens. You get frustrated and annoyed at yourself. I'm still getting caught in this. And then you compound the whole problem because you just beat yourself up and you feel, oh, what's, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm I'm helpless here. Um, They're going to happen. So you have to learn some sort of acceptance, a recognition of what's going on and a more mindful perspective. Then you can ride them through. You can let go without giving in. It turns out this smoker was also a surfer, and this image of the wave really helped him. Use your breath as a surfboard, I told him. You can at least ride the wave without getting wiped out and having a cigarette. He wasn't sure how this was going to work. He started out measuring his urges as he practiced with the surfing for about a month. He had a lot of slips, but he kept at it. You know, I've managed not to smoke four out of five times. The fifth time, yeah, I had a cigarette, but my urges are getting a little farther apart each time, and they're not as strong as they used to be. This seems to be working. After about five weeks, he was off smoking altogether. And that has become his model for working with these cravings and addictions. And the key in there where he says, yeah, uh, I I did slip once, but, oh, four out of five times, that's pretty good. That's very different than, I slipped, I blew it, who was I kidding? See, so you, you want to be building on success and feeling how good it feels to be able to ride the wave, ride the urge. And uh, he has, Marlip has this... Um, this strategy, which if you go online, um, he gives in more detail, and it is a strategy that he calls SOBER. Here's the acronym, SOBER. Um, It's one of the meditation breathing spaces that we've developed. You can use it when you're right on the verge of taking a drink or whatever habit. 
It enhances metacognition, giving you a chance to stand back and look at what's going on. <clears throat> Say you're walking by a bar you used to visit and the thought arises, maybe I'll just pop in and see if, if anybody I know is inside. S is for stop. Stop where you are. Stop walking. If you can notice particularly that trigger, okay, I said I wasn't going to do this. I wasn't going to go into the bar, whatever it is. Just stop. Then, oh, observe how you're feeling. What are the physical sensations and cravings? So you're checking it out. Oh, this is what it feels like. The B is focus on your breath. Let's ride the wet breath like a surfboard. Take a deep breath, then another breath, and center your attention there. The E is expand your awareness so that you'll have a larger sense of what would happen if you did go into the bar. So you're getting some kind of, it's, it's more than just the immediate moment, it's how is this going to feel a bit later? And then, uh, yeah, in AA, they call this thinking through the drink. Finally, R is respond mindfully. So, stop, observe, hang out with it. What am I feeling? Remember to breathe. Just kind of get grounded in that. Have a bit more of of an expanded reality, like the Buddha says, where is this leading to? And then you can choose more consciously to respond. There's another acronym that he has in using this, and that is the uh, what's called PIG, P-I-G, which stands for the problem of immediate gratification. And what it is is getting more and more tuned into the fact that this might feel good now, but it won't afterwards. And if you, this is something that, uh, and I write about it in, uh, in, in, in the Awakening Joy book, that has been my main um, criterion when I'm at that juncture. How is this going to feel a week from now or six months from now? Because, and I've, I've said this a few times here, it's so easy to see on the front end, this is going to feel really good and be completely oblivious to all the mind moments that will follow where we say, oh, God, I can't believe that. If you can propel yourself to the future and imagine how this is going to feel, then you see, oh, I don't want to do that to myself. You see, oh, it feels so much better to look back and say, oh, hey, I did, I did it pretty good that time. So you're going for that good feeling. It's, it's learning the power of delayed gratification. Um, Another support, by the way, at least particularly for unskillful actions, is the container of precepts, is the container of um, guidelines for waking up, guidelines for being as non-harming as possible. And that helps us put on the brakes, but the more we, we see the, the power of it, the more we see, oh, I want to do this not just so that I avoid suffering and my own suffering or others, but because, oh, it feels feels better doing it another way. So I'd like us just in the last last few minutes, just uh, pick something right now. Close your eyes and uh, make it small. Make it small or make it small enough so that it won't kill you 
if you don't act on the impulse. Um, You know, it might be... Limiting checking your email to 10 times (laughs) or five times. You can can see what would be realistic or maybe three times. Or something else that's kind of doable. Just see as an experiment, as a game, what might you explore this hanging out space when the urge comes so you can surf it. And have an image there of you being in that triggered environment and just uh, choosing another way. And then remembering, if you could, to stop and observe and breathe and give yourself some choice. There's no failing this. And if you do it, if you're encountering it 10 times and you, any one of those times, doing it a different way, feel good about that. And go for that good feeling, just as an experiment. And if you want to see what it's like to do it more consistently, a new way, That's how the habit really starts to change. Get in touch with the decision to just explore. If you picked something, if you got something in your mind just to play around with, just raise your hand. Okay. All right, good. And, and you're the only one that knows. If you want, you can share with a, with a friend uh, if you want to experiment and see about support in that way. That can be helpful. But um, this week we'll just kind of um, see. And then uh, we'll explore in more detail addiction. So we're coming from a place of uh, our own experience. Uh, any, any? Uh, we have time for maybe a comment or so. Any comments? Any questions? Anything that might come up from that? Okay, The distinction between wholesome, unwholesome and wholesome craving? So you can be walking down and want to eat. Yeah. And that's not unwholesome. No. But yet there is a desire. There, yeah. is, a, there is something that is making you want to eat. Yeah. Just from your body. Yeah. Um, and so kind of just wondering the distinction of those kind of craving versus the kinds that are distinguished as addiction or yeah. as something that can lead to this papanchic calcification of mind. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's really, that's a key exploration because there's lots of desires that are healthy desires to feed your body, to take care of it. So the, the key is, is this fanning more desire or is it just taking care of what needs to be taken care of? Or what if you want to just buy a book? Like something as simple as that. Like yeah. just. Yeah. 
You're, you're every moment, you're, or pretty much, you're run by, oh, what's the next thing that I want? Yeah. And a lot of those are okay. It's more, you see for yourself, where, what, is this, what is this feeling like inside? Is, it, if, is there a grasping? You can do exactly the same thing from a place of, mm, I got to have it, or... I think this is a good thing to do. And uh, for me, a lot of it is discerning in the, the voice that it's coming from. Like, I've got to. Or, this feels right. So, no, no holy answer to that. It's just exploring for yourself. Where is it coming from? And that might be something that if you slow down enough and listen and feel it, uh, you get more and more information on it. Okay, I, we, we should get going. If you have more questions, then uh, come on up. But uh, let's close with a loving kindness. Mm, just uh, feeling the support of everybody and of the Dharma. And uh, take in all the support and love that's here. May I see clearly and choose wisely. May I wake up to my cravings and come to peace. May I share my love well. And then sending thoughts out to everyone here and all beings, may all see clearly, may all wake up from their confusion, may all know the highest peace, and may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Thanks very much. Okay, remember the experiment. We'll check in next week. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.